over by the microphone right. so they can hear you. So uh, I've shared before, I've been working at Top Notch Fridays because if you work, then you can use the amenities for free. And they have a weight room, not that I need it, but sometimes, you know, you got to tone up a little bit, right? That's a joke. You can laugh, Jonah. <laughs> uh, then they also have a pool. And so I was like, where can I work and kind of get the benefits? Because Jay's at school at Norwich, so I'm alone. Bethany's working hard. And so somebody has to work harder than family. So thank you for doing that. And so I'm like, what can I do? But um, several years ago now, actually, fortunately, I shared that I went through a time where I was dealing with panic attacks. Like it was so weird, but like you just felt this overwhelming pressure. And it was actually when we got the Volvo, somebody said, how can a pastor be driving a Volvo? It's like, well, cause it's a rebuilt title. And we got a really good deal on it. And then I was like, why am I even explaining? Thank you. It's a nice car. But um, we had to get, I wanted the Volvo over a different car because it had a sunroof or a moonroof because I was feeling claustrophobic and just, I was like, oh, I need something. It was just like weird. It's just weird how that happens. But at Top Notch, and you guys face this every day of your job. For me, I work with, well, myself or as a pastor with other pastors like Christians. So working at Top Notch, I'm like, it feels like there's this heaviness where I'm trying to witness, I'm trying to be God's example, but it just feels like, Oh, it's, a, it's just heavy. Well, there's one day this guy comes down, big old smile. He's talking about, I, I don't even know what, probably basketball. And then we just got talking and I found out he's from Michigan. So there's a connection. I found out he was a basketball. There was a connection. Then I found out that he was a Christian. So there is a connection. But Jonah, I'm not going to ask like all the questions I want to ask or they want to ask you, but I want to ask you, when you heard you were coming to Vermont, knowing that Vermont's known for being liberal, so hard to the gospel, what were your thoughts about being a Christian in Vermont, staying in a hotel for two months by yourself? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. I think a lot of my thoughts were, you know, in the Christian walk, I think isolation can be one of the biggest enemies and having that church family and surrounded by a body of believers is a really important thing for success in your walk and drawing close to the Lord. So when I got out here, you know, the first month or so, I, I didn't even know Jeff at that time, but it was a lot of repetition of working in the hotel, staying in the hotel, you know, trying to find that accountability, trying to find that worship friend, someone you could talk to, share scripture with. And, you know, when it's from the outside looking in, you kind of just see what you see on the news or hear what you're told. So you're kind of like, wow, you know, I hope this is the step in the right direction. I hope that I'm making a decision to be in God's will and you get out here and you're kind of trying to avoid discouragement and then, you know, glory to God and his grace to bring people in your life that you need. I, I had the chance to meet Jeff and, you know, come here even today and meet with the body of believers. Um, so just seeing how God works and how he's always willing to be graceful and provide people in your life is very important. But no, initially coming in, it was definitely something that, you know, even when a career opportunity comes, you're kind of like, well, you know, I don't know if this is the best option because is it really going to be for me or this, but it just shows that God's working in all areas of life all over the world. So it's very encouraging. 
Well, thank you, Joan. And yes, amen. And we're going to pray. And I'm actually going to ask uh, Jim, if you would come and actually pray specifically for Jonah. And if there's others that would like to come up and just lay hands on Jonah and pray for him. Uh, that's kind of our tradition. I don't know if you grew up like, it's not weird. We aren't going to push you over or punch you out. We're just going to pray for you and ask God to be with you. But uh, some of you are aware, too, that... Um, Missy Semperbond fell yesterday, and uh, she's actually in Dartmouth or at Dartmouth now. She had surgery that went well, but she's in a considerable amount of pain, and so we just want to pray for Missy. Uh, also, Deb Brown asked for prayer as Ed's memorial service in Florida takes place today, and I just said we'd be praying for comfort and peace, but even during that memorial service, um, with a lot of non-Christian family and friends, that they would just sense and know of Ed's decision to follow Jesus, and uh, just be encouraged even through a time of mourning. And so uh, let's pray, and if you would like to come up and pray uh, with Jonah, he's been part of our small group a couple of times, and that's been encouragement for me as well. But um, it's just so good to have people come into your life that God knew about before we were even born. Now, I do want to point this out. Jonah talks about being good at basketball. Just put up your hand, Jonah. Put up your right hand. Like, do you see the, the size of that mitt? So he's bragging that he can palm the ball, but I'm glad I can shoot the ball. So I do a little bit. Okay, okay, okay. I, I digress. I digress. But um, let's pray. But Jim, I'd ask first that you would pray for Jonah, and then I'll just lead us in prayer. All right. Father, we thank you for Jonah, and thank you that you brought him this way so that part of his journey in life uh, uh, included us, and specifically for his relationship and how it was a real encouragement to Pastor Jeff. And Lord, thank you for being with Jonah as he moves forward. We ask for your blessing upon him, for your watchful care over him. Be with him, Lord, and encourage him in you and guide and direct his steps to your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. And Jesus, we thank you again that you are good. We thank you that you are with Missy right now and ask that you will continue to touch her body and heal her. Father, we just pray for Deb as well and those that are mourning the loss of Ed. We just ask that you will give great comfort and peace, that your presence would be seen and embraced in a way that we would know that you are God and make you not just Savior, but Lord of our lives, and that others would come to know you. And for those that are struggling with health issues, with treatment, with hard diagnosis, whether uh, through a relationship or another uh, thing taking place in their life, we thank you that we can cry out to you and that you give us victory. And when we see the cross, you see the empty tomb. So, Father, we thank you, and it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. And as we uh, continue, um, we continue looking at Ephesians 4, and I just wanted to uh, talk about a couple of the verses we ended on last week. In Ephesians 4, verse 30, it says these words behind me. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, if you understand that it's for by his grace you have been saved through faith, saying, I'm going to follow Jesus, then he has guaranteed your identity that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit. 
Do not start justifying your actions just because you want to get away with what you want to get away with. Do not just start making allowance because you know that God loves you no matter what. Know that his identity for us is one that's something that we can count on. It's trustworthy. It's someone that we can truly have peace in. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. This is kind of difficult because if somebody bumps you or hits you in the nose when you're playing a sport, what is your first reaction? If somebody in the workplace, they kind of, or a grocery store, they're kind of too close and they hit you and they make you drop something, is your first response like, oh, that's okay, or I didn't, I know they didn't mean to, or it's like, watch where you're going, like it's so obvious, but get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. This went from, oh, you're free in Christ, to, oh, I have to do something about my bitterness, my rage, my anger. Hey, I have wholeness in God, like this is so good, I get to go to heaven, I get to share people with people about the peace of God. Wait, there's a responsibility on my part? I think I know I didn't share it was Wednesday I met with our district superintendent uh, Carl Eastlack and so the Wesleyan Church is a denomination there's different regions different districts and so on our district there's uh, over 140 churches and uh, the guy that leads it is our district superintendent Dr. Carl and I got to meet with him Wednesday and he was saying one thing I wish more pastors would preach is entire sanctification He's like, now what I understand is people do not know that word. It sounds like a church word. And I wish people would just realize, Christians would realize there's something more to the holiness that God provides. And so quickly in a synopsis, a nutshell, and we could talk about this more. It's when you become a Christian, you get all of God. God makes himself completely available to you. All your sin is forgiven. He just wants to give you hope, to build you up, to give you strength. But as you grow as a Christian, as you mature as a follower of Jesus, then God starts to point out different things in your life that he wants to either tweak, change, or remove. And he wants to replace with something better. But sometimes we get so comfortable knowing Jesus as Savior, like, hey, I'm going to heaven. Why do you want that? Like, I still like to do that. I can still do that and get to heaven. And Jesus is like, yes, but this isn't the best thing for you. There's something that I can give to you if you would remove that. Allow me to remove that from you so I can replace it with something better. And that's where his holiness takes place. Holiness is such a overwhelming, intimidating word, but God is saying there's more where we can instead be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. This is what God is saying that you don't have to struggle with, oh, I'm just bitter. I'm just angry. You could say, yes, I struggle with it, but God wants me because he has forgiven me through his son on the cross that I could be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even those that have hurt you, even those that have uh, talked bad about you. We can forgive them. Now, I will say, it is not wise necessarily to spend a lot of time with people that have hurt you. Because Satan can use that time to bring up all sorts of memories, but it is wise and God calls us to forgive, but we should set up boundaries. It's not like, well, you forgave them, so now they're your best friend. Well, maybe God can do that work, but other times it's wise to set proper boundaries. As we look at uh, Philippians, 
And we think it's impossible for us to uh, be kind, tenderhearted, to give up all kinds of evil. This is what Paul also writes in the letter to the Philippians. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. The only way that you can get rid of all bitterness, the only way that you can be an overcomer is to say, I do it through God's strength, his power, because I'm following Jesus. I know his plan for my life. Another translation says, for I could do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I could do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That's everything good. I probably feel like I don't have to, but I probably should put in that qualifier that some people are like, oh, I could do anything through God who gives me strength. That even includes bad things because that's everything. It's like, no, there is a qualifier. The message translation or paraphrase is actually a paraphrase. I like how Eugene Peterson puts it. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am become who he says you already are. God already says that you're a saint, whether we believe it or not. God already says you are holy, whether you live like it or not. Become who he says you already are. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. So we jump to Ephesians 4 and we look at this again. Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And you can say, I can never forgive them. And I caution you that by saying that, you're saying you will not allow God to do a deeper work in your life. By saying entire sanctification, that sounds ridiculous. Be careful that you are not saying, God, there's a point in my life where I want control. I don't want to give you control. In Hebrews 12, 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, is holiness something you work up? Is holiness just something that you get a chart? And if you get enough stickers for perfect attendance and you've achieved holiness, is holiness something that by reading the Bible or by doing something good that you can achieve holiness? No, holiness is submitting and sacrificing and saying, God, here I am. Whatever you want to do in my life, whatever closet, compartment, detail, drawer. If you're like us, we have a junk drawer. I actually have several junk drawers and it's kind of like just throw everything in there. Like it could be good. It could be bad. I don't know if they're good batteries, bad batteries, but you throw everything in there. But if somebody wants to organize it, I'm like, no, it's going to take too long. You're going to make a mess. The mess just is confined to the junk drawer. Just keep the mess there. And sometimes God's saying, yeah, that junk drawer in your life, I, I want to get in there. I want to clean that up. You're like, no, because once you start moving that junk around, you're going to find stuff I forgot about. You're going to bring up old memories. You're going to, and God's saying, no, I, I want to get in there to make you holy, to know that it's not based on what you do, but it's based on what I've accomplished because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Are we willing to allow God to come in and look at those places? And little by little, he does do big chunks, but I found, and maybe you found that God is more little by little, day by day. You think like, hey, I gave that to God, but why am I struggling with it now? Because Satan is a tempter. He's a deceiver. And there's things that creep back in, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Well, it kind of seems like 
live in peace with everyone, that's one thing, but to be holy, like they're two distinct opposites. But what if peace is what God wants us to live in, that we share peace, we are kind to each other, so that that's where God reveals to us his holiness, his goodness, the availability for us. And if you're like me, uh, I'm so easily angered at what I see in somebody else because that is typically what I see in myself. Now, it's not anger. Jonah, he started right off talking about basketball, talking about old school basketball, talking about, and I'm like, I can relate. Last night at dinner, we're writing on our to-go boxes, basketball plays, like this worked, this was awesome. And I'm 40, I haven't played a meaningful game in years, like forever, decades, I'm not old. And I'm like drawing out things and I remember plays and it was just, there's such a connection And I think this is what God wants us to do is have that connection with people even we disagree with, even that are distant from God's truth. God thinks that there's that opportunity for us to live in peace with even them so that his holiness can be in us but be shown through us as well. Ephesians 5.1, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. What? Imitate God? So my dad, dad, can you put on your jacket? Stand up and put on your jacket for a second. Just, just for a second, just for a second. So my dad was given this jacket. And then I went to Goodwill. Dad, can you come up here so those online can see? So it's not an exact representation, but come over right, right in front of the camera. There you go. And so dad was given this leather jacket And uh, then I I was at Goodwill and I saw a leather jacket that made me think of my dad's jacket. And I was like, oh, my dad has that jacket. I want to get a jacket that looks like my dad. Now, they're a little bit different and mine had a big rip in it. So I had to get it fixed. But because my dad had a jacket that I thought was pretty cool, I wanted to get a jacket. Give my dad a big round of applause. Thank you, dad. But there are times when we need to imitate. But you know what's funny? I thought this was a cool looking jacket. I thought it was like, hey, it's a good looking jacket. And I show up for my JV girls basketball practice. And they said, hey, coach, nice leather jacket. And they said it in a tone that was a bit degrading. I thought they were making fun of me. And I was like, I like my leather jacket. Don't you think it's pretty cool? I got it at Goodwill, which was not impressive to them at all. And they said, what, did you come in on a motorcycle? And I was like, oh, that doesn't sound very uplifting either. But then I see John with his leather jacket and he does have a motorcycle. So maybe I'll be getting a Harley, you know, pastor appreciation, give me a heart. No, I'm just kidding. So, but imitate God. Just like my dad had something that I thought, hey, that was kind of cool. Our heavenly father, not to over-spiritualize, but there's a significant amount, that we see God's faithfulness. We see God helping us. We see God wanting to give us something because we are his dearly loved children. Like, what, what would it be like if we actually looked at God and said, well, God says I can be like that. It's not, uh, what is it? It's a... Imitation is the biggest form of flattery. I probably brutalized that quote, but it's sometimes you're like, oh, don't dress like me. I want to be my own person. I want to be uh, independent. I want to do this. But what if that was flattering to Jesus 
because we wanted to dress like him. We wanted to act like him. We wanted to be like him as his dearly loved children. Therefore, be imitators of God as his beloved children is the English Standard Version. Do we want to become like him? grow into his maturity, mature and take on who he says we are. This is what we can be as imitators of God. Ephesians 5 says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear, ch dear children, in your love for others, in your showing of peace, in your mercy, and in your grace. So we say, what a great story. I want to imitate God. Do you? Do you? Do I? Well, I do until I read scriptures like this, familiar to many of us that grew up in the church from Genesis. Sometime later, this is after Isaac was born to Abraham and Sarah, God tested Abraham's faith. Well, wait, didn't God already test Abraham's faith? Like, they didn't have kids forever, and God promised they'd have kids, and, but now they have a kid, and God's testing him again? But that's not right, God. Like, that's not fair. Why are you testing Abraham again after he's already been, already showed you that he's obedient and faithful? Abraham called, yes. Abraham called God, yes, Abraham replied. Here I am. Immediately, and maybe there was a gap, and when the written word, you can't tell the exact time, but maybe there was a gap. But once God called Abraham's name, immediately he said, yes, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Now, quick uh, caveat, I have to say, we do not believe in. There was never a time for, an appropriate time for human sacrifices. If you speak to different missionaries and around the world and cults and practices, it is unbelievable what some people say that their gods demand of them. But Jesus never says for us to do this. So read in the context in, in which we continue. The next morning, Abraham got up early. Do you think Abraham slept that night? Like it says, got up early. And I was like, man, he was pretty excited about that trip. No, I think all night he was just agonizing. He couldn't believe that God would call him to do such a thing. But Abraham remembered God's promise. Abraham was one of God's people. Abraham just didn't know God's plan. God has promised you many things. As followers of Jesus, you are God's people. And sometimes it's very difficult to figure out God's plan, but he has a plan for you. So keep walking and following him, moving forward, and he will reveal his plan as you are obedient to him. I will say with new information, you can make an adjustment. With new information, you can make an adjustment. Many of us that grew up in church, we know the ending of this story. And someone said, well, I think I still would have sacrificed, sacrificed Isaac because that's what God told me to do. With new information, you can make adjustments. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire and for a burnt offering and set out to a place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. This was not, let's get up early and go. 
This is, hey, come with me. At this time, Isaac was in his early 20s. If you do the math and you figure it out, I always assumed Isaac was younger. I thought he was like a kid. But if you do the math, Matthew is in his early 20s. He's in his early 20s walking with his dad for three days. So they had to stop. They had to build a fire. They had to cook food, presumably. They had to spend time together. And Isaac, being old enough to figure out what was taking place, he gets to this point. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. It does make me laugh. He's in his early 20s and he's still called the boy. My grandfather, my uh, dad's dad, he probably got my brother and I confused. So he just called us boy. So he said, boy, can you help me with this? Or boy, can you? So my brother and I, we didn't know which one. So we both went. So, uh, but at early 20s, he called him the boy. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We, plural, we will worship there. And then we will come right back. Is that faith? Is that wishful thinking? Is that remembering God's promise to him? So Abraham placed a wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders because he was young, while he himself carried the fire, the torch, and the knife. As the two of them walked together, Isaac turned to his dad and said, Father, yes, my son, we have the fire and the wood, but where's the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. Was Abraham lying to Isaac? Was it just wishful thinking? Or was it truly the promise that God has called us the same, that we are saints, we are his masterpiece, we are overcomers, we are his ambassadors. God is going to use us to share his truth with others. When they arrived at that place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. It doesn't talk about a struggle. It doesn't talk about Isaac arguing with his dad. All it talks about is they both were obedient to what God had called them to do. The witness, the example of Abraham, of a father to his son, made Isaac believe that, well, if this is what God told my dad, and then my dad hasn't missed God in the past, so I'm going to go after God now by following the example my father set. What if we were men, you could say it's sexist, but what if we were men, husbands, fathers, where our children looked at us and said, whatever your example is of following God, you have proven to have credibility and you are trustworthy that I want to follow the God that you serve. And it goes beyond men, but for this story, it is Abraham set the example in such a way that Isaac was willing to be tied up and lay on the altar. And maybe you did grow up with fathers that were not like that at all. And I want to say that there is a God that loves you in the way you should be loved, that will give you a hug that you need to receive, that we as Christian men can give appropriate hugs where our daughters, where our children, where people in our community, they know there's no ulterior motive except to be loved and feel the physical touch of God through us, his people. Well, then he tied up his son, Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. I would imagine this wasn't like a switchblade. Let's do it quick. This was slow, filled with tears and crying out. 
and mourning and asking God, where are you now? At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied. I imagine Abraham. You have to read the Bible, put yourself in, think with all five senses, just read. I can just feel like when Abraham was lifting the knife, he was waiting. He was continually listening for God's voice. Do we continue to listen to God's voice or do we just feel like, well, God told me to do it, so I'm going to do it. What if God wants to speak to us throughout the entire process and find that he is there? Abraham, Abraham, yes, here I am. The same answer he gave when God tested Abraham. Don't lay a hand on the boy. So even the angel called him a boy. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. You have obeyed me. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in the place of the son, his son. Abraham named the place the Lord will provide. To this day, people will still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So it's hokey, but we're in the green mountains. We are people of the mountains. My dad, I call old mountain man, and we are people of the mountains. The Lord, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. God will provide for us, even in the green mountains, even in this liberal state, even in this hard spiritual soil that everybody complains about. God will provide. God has provided. We just need to imitate God. Therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children, imitate God. God gave us his son that we might have salvation and that we might have abundant life you might even call that abundant life entire sanctification god wants us to imitate him so that we might know that he is for us that he loves us that he will take us through difficult times to test us but he always provides a way for us because god's promise is for god's people and god's plan is that we might have his abundant life. To imitate God is difficult, but it is worth it. To follow Jesus, it is difficult, but it is worth it. To know that God is with us is enough to get us through whatever Satan tries to tempt us with, whatever life brings our way, whatever election might take place, whatever mandate might come down, whatever driving situation is, God is enough to say that I am with you. I am trustworthy. Imitate me in my love for you while you are still sinners. I sent my son to die for you so you no longer have to face wrath or condemnation. So if you feel shame and guilt, Give it to Jesus and say, Jesus, this shame and guilt, I can't live with it anymore. Change me. That junk drawer in my life, that big room that needs renovated, come in and give me the strength to boldly and courageously obey you. Whatever you're pointing out, that I might have life and have it to the full. Won't you please stand as we close? Jesus, again, we thank you that you are good, that you are enough.
We thank you that you are with us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.